No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio. Again, thank you for being here tonight. Hopefully you're in Judges chapter 10. We've been in a series called Rescue. Tonight I've entitled this particular sermon, The Line. So you can look up any of these sermons on our archives if you want to follow along. We started the series with this vision from Jude verse 23. It says, Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment and rescuing them. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, we've spent the first several weeks of this series discussing people that need to be rescued. Our role in rescuing those that don't know Yeshua yet from the fire. We discussed why people are living in unthinkable situations and they're doing unthinkable things because they're so desperate for happiness, joy and fulfillment that they're living unthinkable lives. And last week we talked about why some people do not want to be rescued. So we've looked at these opening uh, sermons in the series. So what I want to do is while your finger is in Judges 10... I want to read a series of verses that are on the screen tonight from the book of Judges, leading us up to the main text of Judges chapter 10, starting in Judges chapter 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. If we jump a chapter forward, Judges 3, 7. The Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. Same chapter, verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because of this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. We continue in chapter 4, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud, the judge, was dead. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. You can see a little pattern starting to develop, right? Again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I want to be careful not to berate Israel here in, in, in the ancient Israel in their history. It's not like they can go back and undo it at this point. We keep reading these verses. Every time we read another verse, it's like, come on. You did it again. Come on. It reminded me um, when I was playing sports, I was on a baseball team. And, and in high school, our coach wanted to be very proactive. And he started videotaping. This is a long time ago. There were no video phones back then. They were using videotape to record our batting practice. And so one time I was doing my thing at batting practice and he was there recording. And then after we were done and we were we were done with practice, we would go into the video room and the coach would break down the film of our training on the TV screen. And so I remember coming in one time 
And he sits me down and said, how did you think it went today? I said, well, I, I thought it went okay. There's some things I need to improve. He said, let's watch the video. So he played the video. And the first pitch that came in, I, I popped it straight up. I swung and I hit the ball straight up. And he says, Chad, you're dropping your backside. You're a little, you're a little weak with your back leg. I said, okay, yes, sir. Second pitch comes in, popped it straight up again. Chad, you're still very weak with the backside and, and the back leg. You're not getting it around. Okay, yes, sir. Third pitch, straight up. He's getting mad. Chad, hello. You're too weak on your backside. Your shoulder, by the fourth pitch, he was screaming at me. Holland, how can you even be on this team? How can you hit anymore? Your backside is so weak. I said, coach, I, I can't change it. It's on videotape. It happened like three hours ago. There's nothing I can do. You shouldn't get more and more mad at me every time another video plays because I can't change it. That's what I feel about the Israelites here. Again, they did evil. Come on, Israel. But I don't want to berate them. I just want to point out a pattern. Let's move to the main text. I had you turn to Judges chapter 10. I'll start in verse 6. Remember the pattern, and then let's see what the Spirit reveals here. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Asherahs, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord, and they did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the side, the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Verse 10. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also from the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Minoans, the Moanites who have oppressed you? And you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Now go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen and let them deliver you in your time of distress. You see, it takes a sobering turn here, does it? We see the pattern that, again, Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. They have abandoned their God. Their enemies begin to oppress them. Israel was in great distress. To their credit, they finally cried out to God and they admitted what they had done. They said, we've abandoned you, God. We've sinned against you and we've served idols and other gods. God then reminds them of his long series of rescues. I rescued you from the Amalekites and the Ammonites and the Philistines. And then he says, but I will not rescue you anymore. That's a challenge to someone in this room tonight. There's a challenge to us all that if we have not fully devoted and surrendered, we sang three songs tonight. Here I am to serve and to worship. I surrender. And the third song, I give all to you. This idea that 
there's an expectation that God held back nothing from us. And we don't have the right to hold back anything from him. And if we continually and repeatedly hold something back, we continue in a a path of unrighteousness without repentance, without seeking help and accountability, without seeking to be free of what uh, what we're in bondage to. It seems like there's a line somewhere. There's a line where God says, okay, I won't rescue you anymore. Now, those verses, Judges chapter 10, 13, and 14, we want to read again because it challenges our very theology. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. So go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. This is a hard concept to think about in light of wanting God to fit the definition of a loving God. Is it not? But I challenged us over the last few weeks already that we are not to buy into the false definition of love the way the the world has begun to define and redefine love. Love is not let people do whatever they want. That's not love. If a parent loves their child, they don't let their child do whatever they want. The child will hurt themselves. I don't let my children just reach up and and, and grab a hot stove. No, I, I call their name. I call out. I, I grab their hand. I do something to get their attention to make them stop moving toward the danger. As our children get older, they, they continue to make more and more choices on their own. And, and there are times where if persistent in one particular area, we sit before the Lord. And sometimes the Lord says, let them go. Let them try that. Take your hand off of them for just a minute. And we step back as parents and say, follow that God you've chosen. See if that God can rescue you the way our God can. This is hard because it doesn't seem to fit the definition of love that the world is selling. But it certainly fits the biblical definition of love. Because love that's demanded isn't love at all. And if God continues to press himself into a situation where he's not wanted, that in and of itself is not love either. So in a gracious way, God steps back. He doesn't abandon. He doesn't leave. He doesn't break covenant. He simply takes his hand off the situation and he says, I can't demand myself on you, but I'm right here when you call. And for the gods that you've now chosen, I'm going to let you choose them. And let's see what the fruit and the result of that is. I often say to my kids in a, in a moment of sarcasm, Lord, forgive me for that. They'll try something over and over and over and they'll say, Dad, I tried this. I tried it and I tried it and I tried it. And I've already told them a, a different way, a better way. Probably the right way. And they'll say, Dad, I've tried it and I've tried And I'll say, well, how's that working for you? Well, it's not working very well. What would you like to do about that? I'd like to try it a different way. Which way? Whose way? My way? Never my way, by the way. It's never, it's never what they choose. No. And even if they choose your way, they're going to phrase it in such a way that it's not your way. It's a way they came up with, you know, in, in their own mind. It's a new way that they've come across. I had this example. In a congregation that I was leading, we had a, a brother 
who uh, had what they call grand mal seizures. And so we had to learn as a leadership team what to do for this young man and his family um, in any of our community activities because he had these amazingly strong seizures. I can remember one time I was walking from the parking lot to the sanctuary on Rosh Hashanah, a high holiday, Feast of Trumpets. And I heard a noise in the parking lot as I was walking into the building. So I followed my ears to where the noise was. And this poor young man, 18 years old, was in the middle of a grand mal seizure. He had hit the ground. He had hit his head twice. He was bloody up and down. And his, you know, his uh, violent movement had moved him underneath a car. And he was continuing to, you know, to, to seize and move. You know, the muscles are flexing all over the place. And so we had to learn as a leadership team, what do we do? Like, we've got to be ready to help this family. And so the, the dad and the nurses came and they said, listen, sometimes, especially if, if the person, and this is a big young man, he's strong. He said, listen, if, if they're bigger than you, sometimes you got to step back. You, you can't, you can't jump in. They're so strong in the moment of a seizure. They will destroy you. They will beat you because their muscles are flexing and firing way stronger than you can. And that was so hard to, to watch and, and, and want to jump in because your heart is moved for the person who needs help. And his father would run to me and he would put his arm and say, no, just wait. You have to wait. We won't help him like this. I can remember one time we were at a men's event. And I heard the young man's younger brother call out for him. And no answer. And we were doing some outside work on the property. And at the back of the property was a big ditch, a big uh, valley that goes down into a stream of water. And when I heard them call his name and he didn't answer, my pastoral heart kicked in and I started looking for him. And and I, I just, way off in the distance, I, I thought I heard something happen. And so I took off running. As fast as I could, and the father's behind me, and the brother's off the other side of the field, and I'm running toward this young man, and I realize the closer I get that he's had another grand mal seizure, he's fallen down into the valley, he's head first down into the water, and he's, he's in the middle of a seizure. And all I can remember is jump, running as fast as I can, jumping down into the ditch, bracing myself. He's twice my size, and I'm bracing myself, and I'm trying to pull him out of the water. That's my first instinct, obviously, get him out of this water. And the whole time, his legs are just kicking up and down, up and down. Took three people to get him out of the water. Or sometimes you see the examples of a lifeguard jumping in to save someone who's kicking and, 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 and flailing like this, and they're, they're punching, and the lifeguard can't get to them. He can't. He can't grab them until they, they calm down. And I think that's kind of what's on God's heart sometimes. It's not that he doesn't want to intervene. It's not that he doesn't want to jump in. It's not that his heart isn't moved to grab you and help you. It's that while you're kicking, he's going to just say, wait. I have to wait until you calm down. I can't help you like this. Because right now, you don't want my help. If I force myself on you, it won't be true love because you're going to be a slave. I'm going to make you love me. And that's not the definition of love either. So God in his mercy takes his hands off like he does for Israel. He says, I'm not going to rescue you anymore. Now go and serve those gods 
that you have chosen. God puts a limit on himself about how far he will push his destiny for our life on us. And this limit, this line, if you will, is applicable to both the individual life and the corporate life of God's people. If we continually cross that line and say no to God at some point, he'll say, that's the limit. I've got to back off here. I'm not abandoning. I'm not leaving. I'm not stopping my love for you. I'm not stopping my compassion for you. But for the moment, right now, my hands have to be off until you're ready to receive my rescue. Is there a pattern for this kind of behavior? Well, certainly there is. There's a, there's a pattern in the Bible that there's a line that gets drawn sometimes and unfortunately. The flood of Noah was a line. The people of the earth crossed it and God had to do something to change the formula of what was happening on the earth. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a line at some point the people of that land crossed it and God had to take the hands off and say, we've got to do this a different way. There seems to be a point or a line that God draws. He knows in his absolute wisdom what the line should be. I want to reference Romans chapter 1 for a minute so we get a new covenantal perspective on God's heart to intervene or not. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. I'll read eight verses here. Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things they worshipped. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned with lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty for their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which ought not to be done. Three times it said in that little paragraph, God gave them up. He gave them up. He took his hands off. It says he gave them up to sinful desires. He gave them up to shameful lusts. And he gave them over to a depraved mind, which means they can no longer think clearly. But God's heart to want to rescue his people always shows up at the end of the story. If we were to go back to our main text in Judges chapter 10 and read a few verses forward, Let's read verse 14 and 15, Judges 10, 14 and 15. God has said, I will not rescue you anymore. Go and serve the gods that you have chosen. Let's read verse 14 and 15. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think is best, but please rescue us now. 
Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and they served the Lord. And God could no longer bear Israel's misery. That's God's real heart. That's his heart. He's been standing right next to you the whole time waiting. I can, I can't even bear watching my children suffer anymore. I've never wanted this for you. And I'm standing there waiting for the moment you will just turn to me and say, God, it's yours. I'm there. I was waiting for the split second your heart turned. And it shows up at the end of the story here. And God could no longer bear the misery of his people. God desires to rescue his people. And to always give us a way out of our distress. That pattern is shown again in Noah. Yes, the people of the world had crossed the line. And yet God still provided a way out. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah had crossed the line, but God sent the angels and provided a way out for the ones that would listen. In the story we're reading now, Judges chapter 10, there's a leader that is sent to help Israel, and his name is Jephthah. And he is God's way out. He is God's helper or rescuer in that particular story. When they call out to God and they say, God, rescue us, he sends them Jephthah. And Jephthah gathers the army and then they defeat the Philistines. With every time we cross this line and God takes his hands off the situation, he's waiting for the heart to turn so he can rescue at a moment's notice. And his heart is to be compassionate to those that are hurting. And he will always send you a way out. But you've got to look for the way out. You've got to acknowledge. It's our job to acknowledge when God sends that way out. Let me add to this pattern. We're going to stay in the book of Judges for a minute. But let me add to the pattern. Go forward a few chapters. Judges 13, verse 1. Judges 13, verse 1. We'll see this pattern show up again. I'm not trying to heap it a big pile of guilt on Israel. But we do have to read this verse again. Judges 13, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, please notice how many wasted years were happening every time a generation abandoned God. It just said 40 right here. In chapter 10, it said 18 years were wasted. In chapter 6, it says 7 years were wasted. And in chapters 2 and 3, it says an entire generation had to pass away. Look at all of the wasted time that happens when we don't serve the Lord. These years where we're under the oppression of our enemies. That's, that's for someone tonight. Someone is, is having a move of the Spirit on your heart right now. And he's telling you, I don't want you to waste any more years. Let me take this from you. Let me bring you to victory. Let me rescue you tonight. And I sense that there's going to be a wave of the Spirit for intercession here tonight. Listen, I'm glad you're, you're worshiping with us. I'm glad you're here, members and visitors. But those of you in the house tonight that are already believers in the Messiah, Yeshua, I don't want you to think this message isn't for you. Remember what your job is on this earth. Your job is to rescue people. And so we're going to have a time of intercession in a little while. And I'm calling on all of the believers in the room to help us with intercession. And we're going to even provide a, 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 a prayer team, an agreement team, if you will, that if you have unbelieving friends or loved ones that you're calling out 
to God for. I want you tonight to come down to the front and, and let us agree with you in prayer for their salvation and rescue. Our job as intercessors is to rescue those that don't know the Lord. But the wasted years, the God, our God doesn't want us to waste anymore. Somebody needed to hear that tonight. God loves you. He, he knows that feeling you're feeling. Well, you feel like you've wasted it. And he's ready to change it tonight. So that you don't have to continue in that feeling of wasting life away. As we move forward in chapter 13 of Judges, we find good news. There's a family. The father's name is Manoah. It doesn't mention the wife's name, but this family has a visitation of the Lord himself. It says the angel of the Lord visited them. Actually, he visits the wife first. The husband comes back and says, if it was really God, ask him to come back. So she basically says, hey, God, come back. I wish it were that easy, right? Hey, God, come back. But the Lord shows up again and he gives instructions to Manoah and his wife about what he is going to do in Israel. It's a wonderful story. You need to go read it. The family says, will you stay for dinner? He says, I'll stay, but I won't eat. They offer a sacrifice. And as this pillar of fire is going up from the sacrifice, this big pillar, it says the angel of the Lord or Yeshua in the flesh, he jumps into the fire and he goes to heaven. When you're talking to a religious Jew one day and they say Yeshua never showed up in the Old Testament, tell them about that story. See how they respond to it. But verse 5 of chapter 13 says this. Yeshua is talking to Manoah and his wife and he says this. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth and he will begin to rescue Israel. From the Philistines. You see, God always sends the rescuer. You say, Chad, why do you, why do you keep pointing uh, to this point? What, what's, the, what's the underlying emphasis you're giving to this point? Because I believe that our people in Judaism have missed a large message from the Bible. And one of the messages that they've missed is this. God sends a rescuer. The ones that don't believe in a Messiah, the ones that don't believe Mashiach will actually come in the flesh, they miss the pattern in the Bible. And I'm not talking about the New Testament part of the Bible. I'm talking about the Mosaic Law and the, the, the prophets and the writings, the Hebrew Bible. That God listens for when our heart turns to him. He comes in with rescue and he will send a rescuer. And our people have somehow missed this. How does it get overlooked? Well, it gets overlooked because we might mistakenly think that God only sends a rescuer when there's a military conflict to rescue us from the Philistines or the Romans or the Amorites or the Amalekites. But if you look a little bit deeper at the scriptures, that doesn't even hold true in this pattern. Yes, God sent a when we crossed the line, God sent a way of rescue for Noah and the family and for Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah and for Israel through Jephthah and here through Samson for the people of Israel to be saved from the Philistines. And while Jephthah and Samson had to do with the military conflict, Noah had nothing to do with the military conflict. 
Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels and Lot being rescued had nothing to do with the military conflict. So when the Jewish people, the religious Jews, want to point to the Messiah only being sent as a rescuer for a military conflict, they have missed the pattern in the Bible. There was no military conflict with Noah, nor with Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord sent the rescuer to help them come out of a set environment of sin and unrighteousness. And of course, we as believers know that's exactly what's happening in the Messiah Yeshua. That we as the believers and hopefully many more will join us in confessing our sin. God, we've abandoned you. We've sinned. We've we've walked away from you. Hear our heart. Come and rescue us and send us the Savior. Send us the Rescuer. Not one that is only focused on military conquest, but one who saves us from the environment of sin and unrighteousness. Receive that tonight. Receive that. That's what God is doing for the believers. Samson here was called to be a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? Well, you can study the details of this in Numbers chapter 6 if you want to write that in your notes. That's a great study for your private devotion time. Basically, to summarize, a, a Nazarite is someone who has taken a vow for a set period of time in which the individual separates himself or herself from many regular activities. Some of those activities that they refrain from include shaving or cutting their hair, drinking any alcoholic drink, eating any type of grape or anything that grows on a grapevine, and not touching the dead. There's a line. Be careful. Some of us might have been tempted over time to think it's okay to continue in our life of unrighteousness. Maybe there's a particular area of your life. You know the Holy Spirit's been pointing at it for years. And you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm rationalizing why I can continue in this. You don't understand, Pastor Chad. You don't know my background in my life. I've been through, through some hard things, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use those hard things to rationalize why I'm still allowed to be involved in this sinful area or activity. And be careful with that kind of thinking because there's a line somewhere. I don't know where it is, but God knows. And at some point, God's going to take his hands off that situation. And that's not where we want to be. We never want to be in a situation where God takes his hands off. In the worst case scenario, we want to be like King David when he sinned and he knew he sinned. And God said, judgment is coming because of your sin. David chose rightly when he said, I put my hand, myself back into your hands, God. You judge me. Don't let my enemies judge me. We never want to be in a situation where God's hands have been taken off. Let me have a few closing thoughts tonight. We should be able to identify the patterns in the scriptures today. God certainly has a righteous plan for all of us. If we choose sin, God will be faithful to warn us. But if we choose sin repeatedly and we've crossed the line by abandoning God, God will at some point leave us to ourselves. He will leave us to our enemies. And he will leave us to the gods that we've chosen. Remember, this is not God's heart. It's not what he wants. God is in pain every time one of his children goes through distress. This is not God's heart. He wants to save. He wants to rescue. He wants to move us into the fullness of our destiny for which he created us. 
Anytime we're not in the will of God, moving in our destiny, that is not the right place to be. Because the Creator created you to do a specific thing. Our job is to sit and wait and be molded and shaped to that thing that God has destined us for. A closing verse tonight to encourage you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is right now. And today is the day of salvation. This is God's heart. He doesn't want to be separated from you. He doesn't want to have to take his hands off the situation. He doesn't want to have to give you over to yourself. He doesn't want to have to give you over to shameful lust and sinful practices and a depraved mind. He does not want to have to take his hands off the situation. He wants you to let it. Be in his hands. Let him steer. Let him guide and lead tonight. Now, those of you in the room that are believers, this message was maybe an encouragement. Maybe there's someone who's been hiding an area of sin and you haven't released it to the Lord. That conviction is for you. Our prayer partners will be down in just a minute. But for the rest of you, there are certainly many of us in the room tonight who have unbelieving friends and family. And we need to intercede for them tonight. We don't want to see them cross a particular line. We don't want to see God say to them, hey, fine, do life the way you want to. I will remind you of a sermon we preached a few months ago. And it had this basic thread of truth in it. We said that you will always get whatever you want. You will always get what you want. If you want to live a sinful life doing whatever you want, that's exactly what you're going to get. A sinful life doing whatever you want. If you want to live a life of selfishness and self-centeredness, that's exactly what you'll get. A life of selfishness and self-centeredness. But if you want to live a life empowered by God's spirit, walking hand in hand with every uh, hand in hand with God every day, if that's what you want, that's exactly what you'll get. You'll get an intimate relationship with the creator of the whole universe, walking hand in hand with him every day. It really is up to you, just like it was up to the Israelites here in Judges 10. It wasn't God who turned his back on the people. It was the people who turned their back on God. And these are the very people we're going to reach out and rescue tonight through intercession and prayer. Are you with me with that? Prayer team, if you would present yourself, listen, there are no healing pools tonight. So this is the only opportunity we're going to have to pray together as a family. I'd ask that our prayer team and our community group leaders would present themselves at the front. They're going to turn around so you can see who they are. Let me just express why we're opening the altar tonight. Perhaps you've never given your heart to Yeshua. Well, today is the day of salvation. I can't promise you what tomorrow will look like. But today you can give your heart to the Lord and be saved. Maybe that's you. Maybe you come down and you pray with one of our partners. Maybe you're a believer in the house tonight and the Lord has put his finger on a particular area. And he says, tonight is the night. You have to let go of this one tonight. I'm here. I'm in the room. I'm ready to move. My heart is moved with compassion for you. I've seen your distress, but you have to let go of this tonight. These prayer partners are also here for you. And thirdly, tonight, if you're a believer in the room and you've been crying out, you've been heartbroken for a friend, colleague, or family member who has not yet come to faith in the Messiah and they're digging themselves a deeper hole 
in sin and you are calling out to God for rescue of their life, come and pray with our partners tonight. Let's agree together in prayer and intercession for them. Will you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your word. We want to confess tonight that you're a loving God. We confess tonight as a Keilah that we accept your definition of love. And we know that everything you do is motivated by pure and perfect love. Even when you take your hands off of a situation. Even when you give us over to the things that we have chosen ourselves, It's a loving act. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would have complete freedom in the room right now. Move upon hearts and minds. Let us receive this word deep in our heart. Those that need to be courageous tonight, give them the courage to come and pray. We rebuke the spirit of fear in this room in the name of Yeshua. We rebuke the spirit of bondage and rationalization in the name of Yeshua. We pronounce a spirit of freedom in this room. That we are not here to see a show. We are not here to be entertained. We are here to do the work of God and to build his kingdom. And one of the primary works is the Great Commission to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and to teach people what Yeshua has taught us. To rescue them from the fire. Empower us to do that tonight in prayer. In the name of Yeshua. Amen and amen. You're listening to Solace Radio on the Meander Radio Network.